Percy Weasley likes his cauldron bottoms thick. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for big, beautiful witches. Harry? Harry Potter? Said talked about you, of course. I said to him, I said, said, that'll be something to tell your grandchildren, that will. You beat Harry Potter. Harry fell off his broom, Dad. I told you, it was an accident. Yeah, but you didn't fall off, did you? Always modest, I said, but the best man won. I'm sure Harry would say the same, wouldn't you, eh? I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And we were a little worried that that intro is too porny, but I think it's funny. So, whatever. He um, literally does like his cauldron bottoms thick. He literally does. He doesn't He doesn't want kind of flimsy... Pancake cauldron bottoms. Yeah, he wants like a, these chapters. It is true. We're back. We are once again, and for many moons to come, reading Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. This week's chapters are Back to the Burrow, Weasley's Wizard Wheezes, and The Port Key. In this podcast, you will hear fairly vile, barely veiled double entendres about cauldron bottoms. You will also hear um, lots of cursing, plenty of cursing, and spoilers. And just a big old piece of warning. We actually are going to talk about like the big spoiler for this book um, really early on in this episode because it gets foreshadowed. So if you don't know what happens at the end of Goblet of Fire, read ahead or whatever you must know or wikipedia it you guys do you want to know something horrible alex just wikipedia's the plots of books and movies all the time that i'm scared horror movies that i'm scared of i just that i I, wouldn't go to see i'm fascinated by the plots of horror movies but they'd scare me too much so i just have to go to the end or if it's like i'm never gonna read this but i want to know what happens but it's like in the zeitgeist yeah you know like you wikipedia what happens in all the hunger games books no i read those books really first i wikipedia them. oh you wikipedia pre-wikipedia then i went and read them i actually did read those so that's a bad example um okay so spoilers cursing wikipedia and some adult themes this week's adult themes are biological weapons, remodeling, trade agreements, mom opinions, and unexpectedly challenging hikes. Uh, you want to tell us what happens this week? Yes. In this week's chapters, the Weasleys arrive at Privet Drive to pick up Harry to take him to the Quidditch World Cup. They arrive via flu powder, so that's where they jump into fire in one chimney and they end up in another chimney but the dursleys have walled off their fireplace which arthur thinks is just ridiculous because why would you wall off a perfectly good fireplace and have an electric fireplace i don't know the dursleys are gauche they are they're like nouveau riche yeah as evidenced by their electric fireplace it's not very classy arthur has to blast the Weasleys out of there. It fucks up the living room. There's like drywall everywhere, I'm imagining. There's like dust. Shit gets dusty. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said it. <laughs> Just a really funny Just way to say fix, that. Yeah. Shit gets dusty. Shit gets dusty. Uh, the Riddle House was dust. She mentions the dust there too. Overall, so, so far, dusty, dusty book. It's a dusty ass book so far. The Weasley twins fetch Harry's trunk, which is upstairs, because they've been in the house before. 
in book two, so they think that's real hilarious. Before they jump back into the transportation flames, a bunch of candies falls out of I one of Fred or George or both. I don't know. They're just like they've I think got, it's George. They've got treats on themselves all the time, you know? Uh so candies fly out. The Weasley twins peace out. Arthur and Harry are getting ready to jump into the fireplace when there are screams from Mrs. Dursley. It turns out Dudley has eaten one of the candies and his tongue is now... Did she say python-sized? It is like... There's like this moment... It's like... It's like from a fucking Aliens movie, basically. Dudley's tongue is like everywhere. It's growing. It's like choking him. Uh, So Harry leaves this horrific scene for Arthur to clean up. Back at the burrow, we meet... Some new Weasleys. There's lots of Weasleys. We meet Bill, who works for Gringotts Bank and is a sexy smoke show. He's got a fang earring and a ponytail. And we meet Charlie, who's super buff and has burns from working with dragons. Yeah, they're both so cool. Mm -hmm. They're like the coolest. Molly is super pissed to hear that some of George's and Fred's experimental candies got into the hands of a muggle. We learn that Fred and George have been inventing all kinds of crazy candies and tricks and jokes. In this case, it was ton-tongue toffee. Say that three times fast. Uh, Especially with your tongue engorged. Yeah. Ton-tongue toffee, tongue-tongue toffee, tongue-tongue toffee. Nobody uh, no, wants to listen to this. Nobody wants this. Um... <laughs> She's like, why can't they just work harder at school and join the Ministry of Magic? She's muttering to herself over, is it over her cooking? Yeah, yeah, you know, Mrs. Weasley, very concerned about her son's uh, career prospects. Um, so, yeah, and they've got, like, order forms for... They're, they're going to sell this shit at school because they're entrepreneurs. There's a cookout. Everybody eats alfresco. It's really pleasant. It's just a really pleasant Weasley scene. Crookshanks is chasing a gnome. Does anything else of note happen in this chapter? Is it just really nice? It's mostly really nice. Hermione's there. Hermione's, like, showed up. Um, Harry decides not to tell anyone about his scar yet. Yeah. Percy's just like a dick. Percy is uh, working out, like, some kind of magical trade agreement to regulate, as we mentioned, cauldron thickness. Um, thick with two C's. Yeah, cauldron thickness. <laughs> no, and he's not just really. shouting at everyone because he's trying to finish this report. He's got a big old crush on his boss, Barty Crouch Senior. Everybody has to go on a big old hike to get to a port key to teleport themselves to the World Cup, the Quidditch World Cup. Port keys are these; they can be anything really, but they're normally like garbage or like a manky old boot. And if you touch it, it at a certain time, it will teleport you to a certain place. So this is how all the wizards are getting to the World Cup, because they have to get there inconspicuously. So there's just teleportation boots all over, all <laughs> over England. Uh, at the top of this deceptively steep hill, they meet up with Amos Diggory and his son Cedric, who we may remember from book three as being the only seeker to have defeated Harry Potter. Amos takes a few diggeries at Harry. 
Oh, that sucks. That's I can't believe I laughed so hard. <laughs> That's why they call <laughs> the old diggery dig. <laughs> <laughs> you taking a dig diggery? Uh, so Amos takes a few diggeries at Harry about him losing a Quidditch match to Cedric. And Harry doesn't say anything because, you know, he can like, keep it chill. He's chafing a little. They touch the boot. The boot is made for teleporting. And it teleports them to the Quidditch World Cup. And that's where we are in these chapters. Yeah. That's exactly where we are. This boot is made for teleporting. That's just what it'll do. <laughs> One of these days, this boot is gonna magically transport you. That was pretty good. So, the Weasleys utterly destroy the home of the Dursleys. And I gotta say that the Dursleys are absolutely correct about the kind of people that the Weasleys are. <laughs> like, all of their great fears and more come true. Harry retreated to the sofa. Uncle Vernon, however, moved forward. Wait a moment! He bellowed at the fire. What exactly are you going to... Bang! The electric fire shot across the room as the boarded-up fireplace burst outward, expelling Mr. Weasley, Fred, George, and Ron in a cloud of rubble and loose chippings. Aunt Petunia shrieked and fell backward over the coffee table. Uncle Vernon caught her before she hit the floor and gaped speechless at the Weasleys, all of whom had bright red hair, including Fred and George, who were identical to the last freckle. "'That's better!' panted Mr. Weasley, brushing dust from his long green robes and straightening his glasses. Ah, you must be Harry's aunt and uncle. Tall, thin and balding, he moved toward Uncle Vernon, his hand outstretched, but Uncle Vernon backed away several paces, dragging Aunt Petunia. Words utterly failed Uncle Vernon. His best suit was covered in white dust, which had settled in his hair and moustache, and made him look as though he had just aged thirty years. Uh, yes. Sorry about that. That's what's great about this chapter, right? You think it's going to be nothing and that the Dursleys are going to overreact. But instead they utterly wreck yeah, their chaos. house and almost kill their kid. So... Yeah, that is total horror. Oh my god. He's, you... he's choking like... to death on his own engorged tongue. Can we just like take a minute to like see this through like Aunt Petunia's eyes? Like, she has made sacrifices. She has agreed to do this thing, to take care of this kid. Her husband doesn't want to. She, he, like, reminds her of this, like, horrible story of her dead sister. Like, Petunia's, like, not a nice person. But, like, she's got some fucked up stuff in her past. And she's, like, kind of trying to do right by everybody in her own way. And... Mm, I don't know. I don't know if I'd give her that much credit. Okay, fine. But whatever. She's like, she's made sacrifices. And she's like, ugh, I can't believe these wizards are coming over to our house. It's going to be so fucking weird. The neighbors are going to see. Last time they tried to turn my kid into a pig. <laughs> like, it sucked. We had to pay like a million dollars. Well, no, the National Health Service had to pay like a million dollars to get his fucking tail removed. I know. That's what's driving up costs. Although, no, it wasn't magic. the NHS because they had to go oh, to, a to a private hospital. So they paid for it out of pocket. So whatever, they're in like huge medical debt because of the... <laughs> they're, no, no, they're, um, they seem to be doing okay still. I mean, we don't know. That's true. They might be bankrupt because of this tale. So then these fucking people come into her home, blast her spotless living room to smithereens, 
literally almost kill her child who say what you will about Aunt Petunia she truly loves she doesn't do a good job parenting him but she loves him with all her heart and then this like man is pointing a wand at your kid saying like don't worry don't worry I'll fix it and you're like why would I believe you (laughs) what in this scenario makes me feel like you are going to help in this situation get the fuck out of my house the Weasleys are so rude it's like an accident. They didn't know any better. Well, they you know? should have done some research. The Department of Magical Transportation can't tell if your chimney's been blocked up. I think that this He just was, knows there's a chimney there. I think that this was really, 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 really inappropriate behavior on the part of the Weasleys. It was just as rude as the Dursleys think. Like, the Dursleys are not overreacting to the situation is all I'm saying. If this happened to you, you would absolutely lose it. This is a crazy thing to have happened to you. Yeah, it's pretty insane. It's insane. And then, like, he eats this candy that almost chokes him to death. That's crazy. (laughs) Fred and George should not have done that. We're sort of meant to think he had it coming, though, because he's being very greedy. It's like a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory moment. They fucking just oompa loompa his ass. Yeah, they do. They're like, no, stop, don't, with the, the toffee. No, they don't even, they don't do that. They just let him eat it. No, but you know, like Mm -hmm. in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Right, right. It is more like fat shaming though. Like he's hungry. He's only allowed to eat shredded celery. And cottage cheese. He wants, I told you there would be cottage cheese. (laughs) Didn't I tell you? you did. So 90s. And celery too. I don't blame him for eating a candy. I don't, it was probably stupid to eat a candy that comes from wizards because. Unknown provenance, man. Well, and as we have learned, like, wizard candy is pretty uniformly dangerous. Even when it's not actual prank candy, it's still crazy. Yeah. There's candy that, like, burns a hole. There's acid pops that burn a hole in your tongue. And those are just fucking sold at Honeydukes. (laughs) So I don't know what Mrs. Weasley is on about. This is pretty standard fare. Yeah. Anyway, I just, the, the Dursleys are correct in their reaction to the Weasleys' entrance into their very calm and orderly home if they had taken a bit more active role in the like kids switch off they could have maybe prevented this if they were like oh how are you going to arrive how can we how accommodate would you possibly you? know that you needed to prevent somebody trying to get in through your block right, maybe fireplace. there's no defense for the weasleys here i mean they didn't do something like malicious but they fucked up they did a really really bad job picking up (laughs) harry and the dursleys are awful and abusive and like it's a great scene because they get their comeuppance like obviously it's hysterical harry is like cracking up the whole time and as well he should be i'm just saying if you see it from the the dursleys perspective they're right this is crazy all right that's fair so mark against the weasleys they're kind of chaotic as a group yeah, but they're that's not, what Harry likes about them. He, it is what he, because they're the opposite of the Dursleys. It's funny because it is this like literal collision between exact opposite styles of family making. Mm-hmm. Arthur is so pure though. Yeah. Arthur Weasley is a wonderful character. He, he, he genuinely seems to feel bad. He greets Dudley in a very friendly way. He asks him how his holiday is going. And he... I don't know. He really, he makes, he tries to make the best of the situation. He's a good man. He's a good man. And it's so funny 
how into like the it's so funny how into like the tv and like the toaster oven and shit he is and he's like oh these work from electricity do they i collect plugs Mm -hmm. percy collects plugs too but ew different kind god we have a weird percy alternate reality percy and penelope that those are shared i think yeah ew Uh, (laughs) um Okay. I do like that he collects plugs. I think uh, it's... Arth- Arthur's plugs. Yeah. I like that Arthur collects plugs. It's hilarious. Muggles collect weird stuff. No, I know. It's really cute. Arthur Weasley is... And he's like... We've talked about this before, but he's one of the few, like, genuinely curious. Yes. Like, he he's interested in muggle technology. As well he should be, because it's better. <laughs> um, They don't need to blast their way out of closed up fireplaces. They can drive. Yeah. Yeah, and Arthur's just always, I really, he plays such a sweet role in the Weasley family because he's just this, like, perpetual peacemaker. Yes. Like, he's always, like, navigating these conflicts between the twins and his wife. He clearly loves Molly to pieces. They have a lot of babies, so they do it a bunch, which is nice for them. Yeah. There's Um, clearly no contraception in the wizarding world. I actually, that's a topic for another episode, but no, I wonder about that. I wonder if there is... They don't all have big families, No, though. they don't all have big families. There must be some family planning in the it's Wizarding world. It's weird because they're like wizard Catholics. Like the big red-headed yeah. Irish sort of... I guess they're not Irish, but you know. No, there is a weird kind... They are kind of like a like a big Catholic brood. Is that like racist? Not racist, no. but... I don't know. It's a weird, not it is right. weird though. It's, a, it's like, like a weird stereotype. They're, they're like coded as Catholic. They are. They're coded right? as a like a big Catholic, like a big Irish Catholic family. Yeah, but they're not. They're just redheaded. They, they yeah, they're just Molly and Arthur, just like doing it. I think they yeah. just wanted, they wanted a big family. They, I think they yeah no they're and their kids are all clearly wanted. Right. But I um maybe we'll. This is probably not a topic for the, we have a lot of else, of, we have a lot else to talk about, <laughs> but no, I'm curious yeah. about, I will think about that. I don't know if wizards have, they must have some kind of magical contrace- contraception. Yeah. Um, but certainly we never see it because they're teenagers. These are also middle grade books. They're pretty so. clean. <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty clean. But whatever there is, Molly and Arthur ain't using it because there are a bajillion Weasleys. So Arthur loves his wife. He's like, he even says like, I spend half my life trying to protect muggles from like this kind of behavior. He's not a bigot. And he, he tells off Vernon and Petunia. I don't know if he's telling them off or if he's genuinely surprised by their behavior. I don't actually think that the Weasley parents have a very good sense of how abusive. That's true. It's sort of dawning on him at the very end after he's kind of cleaned everything up or he's like, in the process of cleaning things up, he's like, oh, this is weird for another reason. Yeah, like, these are really... They don't give a fuck about Harry. No, they actively hate him, in fact. Um, yeah, I think a lot of the adults, because... It's a sad scene, because Arthur's clearly shocked. He is. And enraged. But they still fucking send him back there every summer, so... And I know, you guys, I know there's a reason, <laughs> my God. Yeah, because early in book three... Fudge is like, oh, it can't be that bad. You'll go and live with your aunt and uncle. And it's like, no, like, it's pretty bad. They starve me. Mm -hmm. So moving on to some other Weasleys. We learn about Weasley's Wizard Wheezes, which is 
Fred and George's startup. It's very much in beta at this point. Um, kind of in, they're kind of in stealth mode. They don't have any seed funding, and their mom, she's not into this idea. She thinks that they're failures, basically. What are Weasley's wizard wheezes? Harry asked as they climbed. Ron and Ginny both laughed, although Hermione didn't. Mum found this sack of order forms when she was cleaning Fred and George's room, said Ron quietly. Great long price lists for stuff they've invented. Joke stuff, you know, fake ones and trick sweets. Loads of stuff. It was brilliant. I never knew they'd been inventing all that. We've been hearing explosions out of their room for ages, but we never thought they were actually making things, said Ginny. We thought they just liked the noise. Only most of the stuff... Well, all of it, really, was a bit dangerous, said Ron. And, you know, they were planning to sell it at Hogwarts to make some money. And Mum went mad at them, told them they weren't allowed to make any more of it, and burned all the order forms. She's furious at them anyway. They didn't get as many OWLs as she expected. OWLs were ordinary wizarding levels, the examinations Hogwarts students took at the age of 15. And then there was this big row. Ginny said, because Mum wants them to go into the Ministry of Magic like Dad, and they told her all they want to do is to open a joke shop. I mean, we love Molly Weasley, but your kids are trying to start a business. This is amb- She talks about how they have no ambition. I don't, like... There aren't that many things that are more ambitious. Um, no, yeah. Like it's, that's, that's, pretty amb- that's pretty ambitious. Well, it's funny because, like, our culture has changed so well. Muggle culture, and I think, like, the culture that J.K. Rowling was writing in has changed so much because now, like, the founder right. is, like, sort of the great hero of the Western economy. So I actually think if these books had been written at a different time, this might not even be, like, a Wizarding World thing. Yeah, This I guess just you're might right. be that this is, like, kind of from a time when this, like, kind of founder legend, when, like, owning a shop doesn't seem like a yeah. particularly, like... Well, the entrepreneur in American culture, I don't know... I don't know as much about how the English view entrepreneurship, but, you know, in American culture, though, you know. The Cupertino garage. Yeah, that's always business, been you know, a thing. Small, that, that's always been a thing. And You're that's right. a thing at this point. But uh, no, that's it's, funny that, it's funny that her biggest ambition for them is that they become civil servants, basically. Yeah, like mid-level bureaucrats. Although, I mean, those are stable jobs. Obviously, it's the main source of jobs in the wizarding economy. Not that many people actually seem to work in the private sector. Right, which is partly, I think, why they have an unhealthy, bizarre economy. Because, like, whatever, this makes me sound like a neolib, I guess. But, like, you need a private sector. Yeah, you do. uh... (laughs) Unless you're socialist, which they're not. No, no, they're not. Um, So in this case... The kind of size and scope of the magical government is uh, impeding innovation. It's I know. draining away entrepreneurial forces. God, we literally sound like Republicans. Wow. But really, this in this, like... the big government is a problem in the wizarding world. <laughs> because, yeah, when she says no ambition and, like, she talks about their OWLs, like, they are geniuses. That's right. the crazy thing. They're inventing things. They're inventing incredible very, very complicated things. And they're inventing them, like, essentially from nothing. Like, we know the Weasleys are super poor. So they're just, like, using what they can sort of, like, scrounge up 
on any given... I don't know where they're even going, like... God knows where they're going to get this stuff. Well, Mundungus Fletcher is one of the places. <laughs> no, but I feel like a lot of it might just be like foraging. I like that they're so used to how chaotic and crazy the twins are that they're like, oh, they must just like the sound of bangs. Right. What's well, the kind of misunderstanding of them or when you mistake like a certain kind of intelligence for... Unruliness. Unruliness. Yeah, or when you assume that because people are engaged in like... I don't even know if this is unlawful, but if because people are engaged in like a certain kind of mischief, that they must be not using their brains effectively. And it's like Weasley's Wizard Wheezes ends up making the family rich. Like they end up being right. This is an incredibly successful enterprise that like, I don't really want to talk about what happens in terms of how the twins end up, but. Yeah, they just need some, they need some seed capital and some... Yeah, they need some support within the family. Well, and speaking of big government, I mean, their sort of like foil is Percy, who does everything right and now has this awful soul-crushing job writing totally meaningless reports. Yeah, but he loves it. I mean, he loves it because he's a tiny fascist. (laughs) Bureaucracy and sort of like blind, straight and narrow ambition turn Percy into a horrifying person like percy turns out really bad throughout the course of this book and definitely in the next book right we see the course that that particular kind of ambition takes percy on so it's funny because the twins actually become this model for like joyful anarchists like using their brains for chaotic good that's true these books are weirdly anti-government not weirdly i don't think they're uh, anti-government they're skeptical well, I think we should be skeptical. Yeah, they're skeptical of... They're skeptical of power. Of power. I don't think they're misuse. skeptical of government. I think they're skeptical of the ways people... Yeah, the ways people come by and then become a nerd to power. I don't think that she has a problem with government in and of itself. I think it's a power thing. Makes sense. But I will say, after we've praised the twins, as per usual in the Wizarding World, they're like so-called pranks are crazy dangerous. <laughs> like, Tun Tung Toffee will kill you. For sure. And there doesn't seem to be an antidote that you can admit it. Like, somebody has to have a wand and, like, do an anti-engorgement charm. And they were looking for someone to, quote, test it on all summer. Yeah. So just that, that does not, that would not pass an institutional review board. It indeed would not. Uh, or whatever, like. The wizard's. I don't know. Wizards are weird because they have no rules and so many regulations at the same time. Yeah, I, I don't know what the wizarding equivalent of the FDA would be, but I'm pretty sure human testing is way down the line, you know? Yeah. And you need you need a placebo. Yeah. Was there anything else we needed to say about Percy? Oh, um. He's like weirdly like a trade negotiator. He's trying to like... Get an international accord on cauldron thickness? Yeah, he doesn't want any of these flimsy foreign cauldrons flooding the market in in England anymore. (laughs) I I don't know. There's something about the the specificity of that. And uh, what happened to England's cauldron making industry? That's what I want to know. Why can't they just make them in... uh, Yeah. They can't make cauldrons in England anymore? Buy wizard, hire wizard. <laughs> I think, is that part of Voldemort's platform? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have a platform. But yeah, it would be. So speaking of the jobs of various Weasleys, 
Bill, who we already discussed, is a honey bumbalati. Yeah, we need to talk about Bill. Ugh, do we ever? I mean, there's a reason Fleur is like, hey. He's punk rock. He's super punk rock. Um, and he works for Gringotts, and as seems demonstrated by like a throwaway line, I think he's a literal grave robber. <laughs> Which we've talked about the possibility of before, but Molly is like telling him off for the fang in his ear. And she's like, what do they say at work? And he goes, nobody at work cares what I look like as long as I bring in enough treasure. Which, that sounds like grave robbing. And he works in Egypt. And he works in Egypt. As a curse breaker. Yeah, no, he is just stealing gold from the ancients. From Egypt. Right. From Egyptian wizards. Wow. That is some, that is colonial. That is some fucked up shit. He's like, well, but with his like kind of cool, sexy, like bad boy, he's like reverse Indiana Jones. <laughs> he's like, although I guess Indiana Jones kind of wants to like steal that chalice. Yeah, he's like, it belongs in a museum. So maybe he's just wizard Indiana Jones. Yeah, a bit. I don't know. All I know is like, he is the one that I would like to meet. And he's pioneering office casual. <laughs> You know, he yeah. kind of does the Silicon Valley dress down. No, because that's like hoodie and jeans. That's true. He but he's is, like, they don't care what I dress like. No, but he is dressed that's like true. a very cool rocker guy. He's got a fang in his ear. I that don't think robs, Mark Zuckerberg has a fang in his no, ear. No, he doesn't. Never mind. That was a bad example. That robs graves. That robs graves. As a, Which is a pretty punk rock job. Let's be real. <laughs> that's so metal. There's um, more metal. See, I don't know. I guess it is, I don't know. Well, whatever it is, it's fucking cool. Bill's pretty metal. But um, very immoral, I would say, probably, on the grand scheme of things. Also, they don't even mine gold. They have to steal it? Because they have no infrastructure. <laughs> what, are they going to build a fucking mine? I don't know. They can't build a road. That's they have true. to travel via boot. <laughs> yeah, so let's transition to wizarding transportation, which is one of our favorite topics. Let's talk wizarding infrastructure. Yes, so we learn about the port keys, which are just just junk or anything magic to magic you wherever. Basically, it's an object that is enchanted so that if you touch it at the prescribed time, it, yeah, whips you through time and space to somewhere else mm -hmm. that is designated. And you would use a port key because you didn't want to apparate. So we also, yeah, we also learned about operating. Wait, I want to say one more thing about the port keys, yeah. though. So they're meeting on top of this hill with um, some other local wizards to grab the port key to the World Cup. But when they get to the top of the hill, Arthur's just like, okay, fan out, find it. <laughs> they don't even know what it is. Like, they're not even organ organized enough to be like, the port key on the top of your hill will be a boot. He's just like, I don't know, look for some garbage. Maybe that's it. And Amos <laughs> Diggory has to be like, no, it's fine. We already found this fucking magic boot. Also, it sounds, it's, well, this can, this will go along with apparating too. We talked about this before as well, but every single method of wizarding transportation sounds so brutally uncomfortable. <laughs> like nothing is pleasant. So it's just air travel. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it seems worse. It's faster. That's true. But, like, he gets super nauseous yeah, whenever a moment, he travels a by flu. Would you rather have a moment's discomfort or wait in security 
cram into no, you're right. like a tiny I just think if seat. I were magical, maybe I could come up with something that wasn't deeply unpleasant. Maybe not, though. The flu powder is, like, warm. It's, like, nice. No, it's not. Remember, he gets really nauseous oh, and he, like, true. bumps his well, elbows the first and time. stuff. This time he likes it. No, he doesn't. That's not true. Really? He gets sick. Oh. Wait, in the, this time? With yeah. the flu powder? Yeah. So we do, we learn a little more about apparating. We already know that apparating is disappearing one place and instantaneously appearing another place. What we don't know is it's really fucking hard and you have to pass, like, a driver's ed course and a test because if you apparate without knowing what you're doing, you do a horrifying thing called splinching. You have to pass a test to apparate? Harry asked. Oh, yes, said Mr. Weasley, tucking the tickets safely into the back pocket of his jeans. The Department of Magical Transportation had to fine a couple of people the other day for apparating without a license. It's not easy, apparition. And when it's not done properly, it can lead to nasty complications. This pair I'm talking about went and splinched themselves. Everyone around the table, except Harry, winced. Uh, splinched? said Harry. They left half of themselves behind, said Mr. Weasley, now spooning large amounts of treacle onto his porridge. So, of course, they were stuck. Couldn't move either way. Had to wait for the accidental magic reversal squad to sort them out. Meant a fair old bit of paperwork, I can tell you. What with the muggles who spotted the body parts they'd left behind. Harry had a sudden vision of a pair of legs and an eyeball lying abandoned on the pavement of Privet Drive. Were they okay? he asked, startled. Oh, yes, said Mr. Weasley, matter-of-factly. But they've got a heavy fine, and I don't think they'll be trying it again in a hurry. You don't mess around with apparition. There are plenty of adult wizards who don't bother with it. Prefer brooms. Slower, but safer. Even the word. Such a good word. She's good at that. Yeah. She's good at coming up with world-specific vocabulary that's really evocative. What that looks like, I have no idea. Apparently it's reversible, but it sounds like an extremely unpleasant experience. Well, and, ugh, the grossest line is when it's like, it's also really dangerous because muggles might see the body parts you've left behind. (laughs) So you literally, like, tear your body asunder, which is fucked. And you're stuck. That's the scariest thing. That actually sounds like hell. Like, literal hell. If you splinch and you neither part of you can move back to the other part and you're stuck in this like torn apart limbo until somebody can come fix you yeah how and do how they, do you notify them they don't have wizard them? 911 do they i think probably people like there's someone observing like apparating oh, like wizards, signals more wizard surveillance i know but there probably has to be right because right. that's how the accidental magical reversal squad knows to come get you yeah So that's a crazy thing to have human beings do. (laughs) (laughs) But it's instantaneous. I know, but it's just... That's so convenient. It's so dangerous. Well, so is driving a car. Not this dangerous. Well, they don't say there's that many fatalities. That's true. Okay. Lots of people die in car accidents. That's fair. Well, yeah, which is like, hardly needs to be said. You always defend them. Sometimes. No, you're probably right. Splint, yeah, just the splinching. They're just... I, splinching is bad, but 
No worse than a bad car accident. No, significantly better, in fact, than a bad car accident because it's reversible. Well, so we've talked about this before, like with the candy. A weird thing about the Wizarding World is almost everything is reversible. So they don't really care if like fucked up things happen because usually they can undo it pretty easily. Mm -hmm. So they're like, yeah, you're going to rip your body in half through (laughs) space and time. Like, eh, it's like not great, but we'll fix you. Try to imagine every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. What is that from? Ghostbusters. Oh, okay. (laughs) So, but we do learn a little bit more about wizarding infrastructure and we kind of get a, I think a bit of a defense of how stupid all of these transportation methods are. How so? There's this great kind of speech that Mr. Weasley gives about how complicated it is to throw the World Cup because you have to do it totally clandestine because they're they're an essentially underground society right. all over the world and it's like it's a hundred thousand people and it's like a hundred thousand people and so he's like you can't just bring a hundred thousand wizards together like somewhere magical because we don't have a big enough first of all like build a fucking stadium you guys you build castles doesn't it feel like they should just build something that's true but then again, like, how complicated would it be to, like, do construction with all the, like, charms and stuff? Well, they're able to keep Hogwarts hidden. I know, but Hogwarts has been there for, like, thousands of years. That's true. I don't know, I guess. So they basically, like, what we learn is they essentially can't create any new infrastructure. Right. So, I mean, so they have in to, that way, it makes sense. Well, it makes sense why they don't have, like, roads and planes and stuff. Because, mm-hmm. A, that's magic. That's not magic. But, B, like... They can't draw attention to themselves. So all of their transportation methods have to be, they have to employ currently existing infrastructure, which is like how the flu network works. Mm -hmm. Like those, they have to use something that like muggles don't find suspicious, which is fireplaces. And they have to make it so there's no way that muggles would notice like any of the physical apparatuses of the travel. So, but, like, what if a muggle, like, just picked up that boot because they, like, what if it was David Sedaris <laughs> out on Pick- his, like, long jaunts across the English countryside picking up garbage and, like, fucking, that would be really good crossover fanfic. Oh, my God. That would be, David Sedaris himself should write that. Yeah. David, da- if you're listening. Yeah. Please write us a fanfic where you accidentally get teleported to the World Cup. Where you pick up a port key on your, like... <laughs> 10,000, no, how many, he takes like 100,000 steps a day now. That actually seems like a thing that would happen to David Sedaris. I know, and then he would write like a really wry essay about it. And it'd be on This American Life. Yeah, and I would love the shit out of it. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, that's basically the Santaland Diaries. Is David Sedaris is accidentally in the Wizarding World and it's fucked. The Quidditch World Cup. (laughs) When our program continues. That's Um, my, my Ira glass, isn't that good? It's just funny because here's yet another way to get around and their anti-muggle charms are so funny because rather than it being, because it can't be something that they can sense mm-hmm. is repelling them. So like they have a charm where like with if you get within 10 miles of the grounds of the cup, then you suddenly remember something incredibly urgent that you have to leave and do immediately, <laughs> which is really funny. So that's like a, that's like a, the good side of the crazy wizarding like technology choices is that they're, um humorous and sort of delightful and ingenious so last thing i want to talk about i'm sorry to end on this bummer note but um we meet amos diggory with cedric and amos diggory i think ends up being one of the great tragedies of the series and actually they return to that fact in 
cursed child mm-hmm. because Amos's grief kind of propels them through that plot because Amos is going to lose his son. This is an interesting moment when Harry meets Amos because um, what further establishes Cedric as this foil to Harry because he has this really he has this really loving parent. He's heroic in a lot of similar and bold in a lot of similar ways to Harry. Just a little older and more mature, you know. He's like somebody and Harry more well adjusted yeah, because somebody, he has a family. Mm-hmm, somebody Harry grows to respect and look up to, and that's a hard chapter to read, knowing what happens. It is at at the end of the book. It is cloaked in dread mm-hmm. when he has that conversation with Amos Diggory, who so clearly just Cedric is his whole world. Right. And he's so psyched that Cedric beat Harry in Quidditch. And then the way the cup ends, I might, I'm going to like start crying. We might have to like move past this one pretty quickly, but Amos is a singularly difficult personage to meet knowing how this, how this book ends. But I do think it's interesting because Harry and Cedric sort of live this like reverse reality Mm -hmm. because Harry doesn't have a parent. Cedric has this thing that is the great desire of Harry's life and Harry loses that thing as Voldemort is defeated and Amos loses Cedric in the moment of Voldemort's like triumphant return. Right. It's an interesting inversion. It is a devastating inversion. He's kind of a dick to Harry, but his <laughs> ribbing of Harry. First of all, like, people should rib Harry. Yeah, yeah. Like, Harry's pretty full of himself. And Cedric did beat him at Quidditch. Yeah, fair and square. Well. Mostly. Dementors. Yeah. Came to the match. But, um, yeah, Cedric didn't fall off his broom, as Amos points out. But just, like, the total love and pride and joy that Amos Diggory clearly takes in his only child is a dagger in all of our hearts. A daggery? I can't believe you just made that joke. Holy shit. Sorry. No, it was, a it daggery was much needed. in our hearts. Um, That's not even a joke, really. That doesn't really past muster i i mean i laughed but only because i was like genuinely near tears and it helped this book is brutal these are like the only two funny scenes like we're gonna have one more funny chapter and then it's just gonna be bleak it's gonna get real although no there's because there's like lots of fun like acts of heroism in between some daring too yeah some general chosen one bullshit um but Poor Amos. Wow, you are in for the worst year of your life, buddy. <sighs> so, who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Arthur's hookup at the Department of Magical Transportation. He connects the Dursleys to the flu network temporarily. The wizarding world seems to run on graft and favors. Yeah, because also Ludo Bagman like gives them tickets because Ludo has like... <laughs> Arthur, like, got him out of, like, a spot of trouble. <laughs> so, you know, that's, uh, these informal patronage networks, man, is, uh, what drives wizarding society. But it is good for Arthur navigating, uh, 
they're all kind of corrupt. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, is that corruption or is that? Not, that's not corruption. But the the Ludo Bagman thing seems there's like a lot corruption. of low. There's a lot of low level. Because uh, Arthur is just like, oh, favor, like I smoothed making. something over with like mm-hmm. a lawnmower behaving weirdly, and like <laughs> to thank me, he gave me these tickets worth thousands of dalians. So <laughs> that seems fair. Um. Oh God, we're gonna meet Ludo Bagman. What a weird character. Okay. Ludo- douchebagman <laughs> you are on a roll i am um my unsung hero is jenny who really holds her own with like a giant gaggle of pretty overbearing and large personality brothers there's like the scene where um i mean i don't know she just like plays along like there's the scene where bill and charlie are like fighting the picnic tables in the backyard just like randomly crashing the picnic tables into each other (laughs) which is such a weird thing to be doing they're grown-ass men yeah so but jenny is like out there like super game like cheering them on um so i'm just like really here for jenny's like ability to hold her own in that very large and boisterous crowd i also have to shout out jenny because as a redhead i acutely understand the pain of blushing hard like the first time harry sees her in this book he says like hi to her and she turns scarlet and it sucks because like Ginny is at this point like pretty self-possessed but she still has a crush on harry and like redhead blushes are no joke like i cannot hide any emotions (laughs) it's like really embarrassing like i turn bright red when I have a feeling. So, which is all the time. So, I just like want to tell Jenny that, like, girl, I get it. Blushes are the bane of the redhead's existence. And it's okay because Harry likes you too. Aw. This episode is brought to you by Tun Tongue Toffee. It's a mouthful. <laughs> that was good. So, please go if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts. Um, rate and review the podcast and um, subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you have the ability to subscribe. We would love that. We have gotten some lovely reviews lately and um, we always want more because we're greedy. That's not true. It's just nice. It helps people find the podcast. It um, helps us keep making it honestly. I think like feedback is really useful for us because this is like just totally a labor of love we live on positive reinforcement we do we're millennials so (laughs) if you don't give us trophies we quit (laughs) um we're on the various socials at quibbler podcast on twitter and instagram and facebook oh yeah facebook there's a facebook page i know but it's just slash quibbler podcast on facebook you'll find some nice people there you will um also you can email us at quibblerpodcast at gmail.com We'll do some more mail mailbag episodes as soon as we have some mail to read from you guys. So that was really fun. We'd like to do it, and we would like to do it again. We have a newsletter, tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast. Sign up for Owl News, bonus quibbles, and whatever comes to our mind, really. Yeah. Articles that are tangentially related to Harry Potter. And owls. And <laughs> mostly owls. Yeah. There's some gifs, that kind of thing. It's really just an avian themed newsletter yeah 
sometimes. So <laughs> next week, we are back to the two-chapter model because they're getting long. So we had a short-lived ability to do three at a time. Um, but next week, we will be reading Bagman and Crouch and the Quidditch World Cup in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. So talk to you then. Time for sports. It's time for sports. Thanks, amigos. Will you keep it down? Sorry, Purse. How are the cauldron bottoms coming on? Very badly, said Percy peevishly, and he slammed the window shut. Oh, you're gonna take me home tonight. Oh, down beside that red firelight. Oh, you're gonna let it all hang out. Fat bottom girls, you make the rockin' world go round. I'm trying to work in here, you know. I've got a report to finish for the office, and it's rather difficult to concentrate when people keep thundering up and down the stairs. We're trying to standardize cauldron thickness. Some of these foreign imports are just a shade too thin. Leakages have been increasing at the rate of almost 3% a year. You might sneer on, but unless some sort of international law is imposed, we might well find the market flooded with flimsy, shallow-bottom products that seriously endanger... Yeah, yeah, all right. That'll change the world, that report will, said Ron. Front page of the Daily Prophet, I expect. Cauldron leaks. How are the cauldron bottoms coming on?